Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. It's January 5th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. Kicking off 2024 with a four-day work week. I love it. <laughs> I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And where we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I should begin this morning, Jill, by wishing my wife, Alex, a happy birthday on this January 5th. Uh, it's been a remarkable year as we became parents as she became a mom. So uh, just wanted to let her know I love her and uh, looking forward to an incredible year of adventures as parents. First full year as parents. Happy birthday, Alex. I will say one of my favorite people. I love your wife. She's great. As I tell her now, uh, between her and Olivia, they're tied for my favorite person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> And Jill, before we hit the headlines here, uh, track the weather starting today, uh, folks, anywhere along the I-95 corridor in the northeast. Uh, so about 100 million of you between the mid-Atlantic and the northeast. There's a nor'easter coming through. It keeps changing based on weather patterns, etc. I'm not sure those of you in New York City will get that much snow. But uh, those of you sort of west of I-95, you could see some significant snowfall. Those of you in New England are used to it, but... Uh, that should be one of the major events those of you on the East Coast uh, are tracking this weekend. Well, as I'm sure you can expect, Moshe, we have been monitoring it very, very closely. And it seems like it's veering towards potential rain, actually, for us here on Long Island. Yeah, yeah. You are far east of I-95, Jill. So you guys have less and less to worry about, it appears, as of this recording. But as we know. Things can always change. Mosh, let's get to some headlines. On the fourth day of 2024, the second school shooting in the United States. This time it was in Iowa. We've got the details. To the Middle East, fears of a wider war continue as the U.S. strikes a terror leader in Baghdad. Here in the U.S., hate crimes are spiking in some of the largest cities. We'll have the numbers. A new report says that Donald Trump's businesses received millions of dollars from foreign countries during his presidency. The Epstein docs, what we are learning from nearly 1,000 pages of unsealed documents related to Jeffrey Epstein. Most underwhelming or overwhelming? Whelmed to underwhelmed right now, Jill. <laughs> but we warned people earlier this week that it's not going to be this bombshell that some people were sort of hoping for or expecting. That said, more documents continue to trickle out. All right. If you listen to this podcast religiously, you know that one of my biggest gripes, crazy expensive food prices. And now one supermarket chain in Europe is striking back at a food maker over price increases. Just in time for New Year's resolutions, Peloton partnering with TikTok on short form fitness classes. And they'll be giving some behind the scenes content. Where we're going, we don't need bikes, Jill. <laughs> and relationships these days, not so simple. Sweethearts, the heart-shaped candy, has noticed, and they're going to be selling situationship boxes. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. All right, as I just mentioned, on the fourth day of 2024, we got the second school shooting in the United States. Police said a sixth grader was killed and five other people were wounded by a 17-year-old shooter Thursday at a small town Iowa high school. It came Thursday morning as students were preparing for their first classes after winter break. They were forced to duck into classrooms barricade themselves in offices or run for an exit before the shooter was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
That shooter was 17 years old. We are not going to use his name on this podcast. He was armed with a pump action shotgun, a handgun, and an explosive device. That explosive device was undetonated and was later found and diffused by fire marshals. Just before the shooting, he had posted a TikTok video in what appeared to be the school bathroom with a duffel bag and the caption, quote, now we wait. The shooting triggered a mass evacuation of about 1,700 students on those first day of classes after the break. One of the five people who was injured was the school's principal, Dan Marburger. He was rushed to the hospital and went straight into surgery for those gunshot wounds. Law enforcement responded within seven minutes to a 7.37 a.m. call of an active shooter at the campus. They said, quote, there were very few students and faculty in the building at the time of the shooting noting that classes had not even started yet. Yeah, so this took place in Perry, Iowa. It's a, a small town, about 8,000 residents, about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines. The high school and middle school there are effectively connected. Uh, and incidentally, at just about that time, as candidates right now are campaigning in Iowa, candidate Vivek Ramaswamy had a campaign event scheduled in Perry, about one and a half mile from the high school, he ended up canceling it and instead holding a, a discussion with area residents. Uh, Ramaswamy calling the shooting a sign of psychological sickness in this country. Former South Carolina governor, uh, another GOP presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, uh, who's also contending uh, to win the Iowa caucuses, wrote on Twitter, no parent, student or teacher should have to wake up and face news about a school shooting. Notably, as we talk about these candidates there uh, on the Republican side, all of them oppose federal action, most federal actions regarding gun safety. Several have proposed more funding when it comes to mental health. It does follow, Jill, now that we're already two shootings into 2024. Last year, in which there were more than 80 school shootings, that's the most we've seen since 2008, at least. That's when CNN started tracking those numbers, but a significant number last year. All right, now on to the Middle East. The U.S. said Thursday that the military has killed an Iran-backed militia leader in Baghdad. The Pentagon called this a precision strike on a vehicle that was traveling in eastern Baghdad, targeting a member of the Harakat al-Najaba group. The group is designated by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. One U.S. official telling The Wall Street Journal that the person targeted, quote, had American blood on his hands. U.S. forces in Iraq have come under a wave of attacks by Iran-backed militias in recent months. Since mid-October, there have been at least 115 attacks on U.S. and allied forces in Syria and Iraq, with many of them being claimed by Iran-backed terror groups. Harakat al-Nujaba said in a statement on its Telegram channel that the leader, Moshtaq Talib al-Sadi, had been unjustly killed by U.S. aggression. They vowed revenge. This group is a radical Shiite terror group. It is supported by Iran and aligned with the so-called Axis of Resistance, along with Hezbollah, the Houthis, and Hamas. Yeah, so this was a major move here by the U.S. to take out a commander here. There's been a push for Biden uh, and uh, the White House to do more after more than 100 attacks here across the region, uh, send Iran a message. And so clearly by taking out a group leader, that's an indication to Iran, hey, we know you're about this. We're willing to escalate things further. The next thing above a commander of one of these terror groups is an Iranian commander. 
So uh, clearly here, the U.S. trying to send a message. Uh, Last month, the U.S. did carry out retaliatory airstrikes in Iraq after a drone aligned with some of these militants left one U.S. service member in critical condition and wounded two others. It does come as the U.S. and a number of allies, the Germans, the Brits, the Japanese, the Singaporeans, etc., all issued what amounted to a final warning to the Houthis, the Houthis down in Yemen, uh, telling them to cease their attacks on vessels in the Red Sea or else face targeted military action. Uh, The message from the U.S. and others reads, let our message now be clear. We call for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. They're holding a couple dozen from a ship they took over uh, more than a month and a half ago. The message continues, the Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives, the global economy, and free flow of commerce. So effectively, a stop immediately or face the consequences uh, from the U.S. and allies. Uh, Clearly, we're several months in here. Huge economic ramifications to what the Houthis are doing. Of course, um, what the groups in Iraq and Syria are doing. So you had the takeout of the commander uh, yesterday. Keep in mind, of the more than 100 attacks, about 25 have been carried out by the Houthis, uh, including an attack yesterday, by the way. So they continue here. Um, So we'll see what the U.S. means with this warning. But a senior Biden official tells the Wall Street Journal that the Houthis should, quote, not anticipate another warning at this point from the U.S. and its allies. So it bears watching here um, how Iran takes the message in Iraq with the taking out of that commander, uh, as well as this warning to the Houthis. Moshe, I feel like we're a broken record. We've been talking about this for weeks with the U.S. being like, do not do it. It feels like a parent kind of threatening a kid. Like I'm thinking of my daughter at bedtime kind of where I'm like, Dude, this is it. You know, you've got one more chance. Do not get out of bed. How many terror proxy groups does your daughter have uh, control of? And how many does she arm around Long Island? She has a small militia of teddy bears that she's <laughs> <There you go. laughs> in complete control of. You know, this goes to the larger debate. We've talked about this in the podcast before about how, you know, the U.S. needs to manage the situation in the region. The last thing they want is a larger regional war. By the way, the Iranians uh, don't want the U.S. to be attacking them. They know how that is going to end for themselves, but they want to see what they can get away with. They want to send a message. And by the way, this goes back. Remember, folks, when you're listening uh, to this podcast and you're watching the Middle East, memories are long. Uh, There's a memory from Iran that the blowing up of the Marine barracks in Beirut by a very uh, small upstart group called Hezbollah that they were forming more than 40 years ago, basically led Ronald Reagan and the Americans to get out of Lebanon. So there was a a message for a while between that and then, of course, the attacks on the U.S. soldiers, um, Black Hawk Down in Somalia, that led the U.S. to retreat from, uh, from Somalia. There was a feeling among extremists in the region that effectively you can push the U.S. out with some attacks, that the U.S. is susceptible to this sort of thing. So Interesting here, you know, that continues to be a lesson here in 2023 to the Iranians. They want to see what they can get away with without causing a full war. The U.S., of course, does not also want a full on war. But you see this sort of these skirmishes happening, the Iranian use of these proxy groups and the U.S. basically tolerating this for a very long time. Other administrations would not have. And so here we are. And so yesterday was not insignificant. Uh, and so we'll have to you know, monitor because afterwards you always hear these calls for revenge, calls for vengeance, etc., Ultimately, uh, there's a couple folks in Iran who are making the calls here. 
staying in the Middle East, ISIS on Thursday claimed responsibility for the bombing attack in Iran that we told you about yesterday. The twin bombings killed 84 people in Kerman, Iran, during a memorial procession for Major General Qasem Soleimani. ISIS called the attack, quote, a dual martyrdom operation and described how two militants approached a ceremony at the tomb of the general and detonated explosive belts strapped to their bodies, quote, near the grave of the hypocrite leader. Yeah, so we got some questions about this. Why is ISIS targeting Iran here? Keep in mind, ISIS is a Sunni Muslim terror group. Part of its mission is to kill apostate Muslims, what they view as apostate Muslims, those who are not true to the faith. So that includes all the Shiites, as in there are hundreds of millions of them. Iran is a majority Shiite country run by a theocratic government led by Shiite clerics. Uh, Keep in mind, Sunni Muslims, Shiite Muslims basically believe in all of the same things. They have a disagreement that dates back to the 7th century about who the proper successor to Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad was. The Shiites felt that Muhammad's successor should be someone in his bloodline, a guy by the name of Imam Ali. The Sunnis, who would become the Sunnis, felt it could be anybody it would go uh, to uh, someone not in the bloodline, and then eventually Ali gets a chance. He's assassinated. His One of his sons assassinated. Anyway, long story short, the difference is 7th century succession to the Prophet Muhammad, and unfortunately, it has led to a lot of bloodshed over the last 1,400 years. Um, and you've seen it across the region. ISIS, by the way, launches attacks on the Taliban. The thing about ISIS is they don't believe that anyone is as devout or religious as they should be. So you see them attacking the Taliban. You see them attacking Iran, who would be viewed as extremists by the vast majority of Muslims around the world. Uh, but ISIS is like, nope, not good enough for us. And so while you have seen basically bridging of differences here between Sunni extremist groups and Shiite extremist groups, like, for example, Hamas, a Sunni terror group, Hezbollah, a Shiite terror group, uh, both funded by Iran, Shiite regime. They've all basically gotten together because the enemy of their enemy, Israel, is their enemy. So they've all basically, for now, are working together, except ISIS. ISIS is like, no, we don't affiliate with any of you people, all of you are problems. And so you've seen ISIS do a number of attacks here. Now, what's notable is in Iran, despite ISIS putting out a statement saying, Yo, it was totally us. We did this. Uh, Some Iranian leaders are like, no, 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 it's Israel. ISIS, you're reporting to Israel now. And ISIS (laughs) is like, no, it's not Israel. It was us. And like, we're proud of what we did and we will continue to do so. What is interesting, though, is the Iranian media, state-owned media, uh, is carrying the ISIS statement. So clearly, Iran, the Iranian government, is not trying to pin the blame on Israel, despite what ISIS is saying here, uh, especially as they put it out in their state media, and that has been a concern here. Nonetheless, as we kind of wrap up this story for you, a lot happening in the region, a lot of back and forth, a very complex web of relationships, and we'll continue to monitor all of it. Uh, And of course, we didn't even, in this summary, Jill, get to the latest uh, Israel-Gaza, but we'll continue to track what's happening there as well on Instagram over the weekend. Jill, obviously that war continues, but no major developments in the last 24 hours. We should note Secretary of State Blinken is headed uh, to the region, and the Israelis are expected to present their post-war plan for Gaza. We'll see how that unfolds this weekend. Moshe, you just gave me serious flashbacks to my Islam studies class from Columbia in 2003 with the Sunni-Shiite divide and and the difference. Uh, Very well done. Listen, we could do a whole course here at Mo News on it. I, I tried to do it, you know, sort of like yada, yada, yang parts of it, because it's like it's very complex at the same time, you know, like many of the things you see in that part of the world. 
you know, some of these disputes go back a very, very long way. All right, everyone, we've got plenty of news coming up. But for now, a quick word from one of our sponsors. If you are a longtime listener, you know that we have both been drinking AG1 for months now. And especially with young kids, we could use all the help that we can get when it comes to energy levels. AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. AG1 continuously has been refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. AG1 is a team of doctors and scientists that tested for 950 contaminants. It is NSF certified for sport and formulated based on the latest science with the highest quality standards. I have one friend who drinks AG1 and always says it's kind of like his insurance policy for the day, meaning that whatever else he has, whatever he eats or drinks, he knows he is covered, that he already got all the really important nutrients that he needs. And I'm the same way. I take AG1 in the morning and I know I am just covered for the day. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Check it out. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with some troubling numbers about hate crimes here in the United States. From Axios, for a third straight year, there have been spikes in hate crimes in the nation's 10 biggest cities. Last year alone, increases averaged 11% to a record 2,173 cases. This is according to a new preliminary report from the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State San Bernardino. Hate crimes against Jews, which spiked after the Hamas attack on October 7th, have now supplanted Black Americans as the most targeted group in America's 10 largest cities, probably for the first time ever, according to the data. Anti-Muslim hate crimes have also jumped in the same cities. After anti-Jewish hate crimes, anti-Black and anti-gay hate crimes were the second and third most common in America's 10 largest cities last year. It's notable here to see this increase, Jill, because 2023 actually marked, you saw a decrease in a number of crimes, including homicides um, across America from that kind of post-COVID spike. But uh, sadly, hate crimes are up. Looking at a few different categories and cities here in New York, anti-Jewish hate crime rose just under 13%. In LA, uh, anti-Jewish hate crime went up 48%. In Chicago, a 10% increase. The city of Houston saw 85 hate crimes in 2023. That is up 200% from the year before, according to a review of this data. And Houston saw the largest spike in any of the nation's 10 largest cities. This report does reflect a more than two-decade trend here of increasing hate crimes across the nation. The overall increases in hate crime extended to major cities outside the 10 largest ones. We saw an increase in San Francisco, Denver, Seattle, Salt Lake City as well. Now, the FBI puts out a comprehensive report here. This is just a report from a university. When they put out their report, it's expected that anti-Jewish hate crime will reach a record uh, in the time they've been tracking it historically. Anti-Muslim hate crime, we should also note, did see significant spikes in the fall in larger cities, and crimes against Muslims will likely hit their highest level over the last 10 years. 
From the Associated Press, Donald Trump's businesses received at least $7.8 million from 20 foreign governments during his presidency. This is according to new documents released by House Democrats on Thursday. They show how much he received from overseas transactions while he was in the White House, most of it from China. The transactions are detailed in a 156-page report called White House for sale. Ironically, it offers evidence that the former president engaged in the kind of conduct that House Republicans have been trying to prove that President Biden engaged in when he was vice president, making money off of foreign countries while in office, using documents produced through a court fight. The report describes how foreign governments and their controlled entities interacted with Trump businesses while he was president. Foreign governments paid millions to a number of Trump hotels and properties across the country, including the Trump International Hotel in D.C. As we noted, China was one of the leading spenders, paying more than five and a half million dollars to Trump owned properties, according to the report. Some of the other countries that made payments to Trump included Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, India, and Afghanistan. So the report says here that these countries spent often lavishly on apartments and hotel stays at Trump's properties, personally enriching Trump while he made foreign policy decisions that were connected to their policy agendas. Uh, The Democrats say uh, that these decisions had far-reaching ramifications. And the Democrats claim here that the $7.8 million is probably just a fraction of the foreign state money that was paid to Trump properties. But still, this about $8 million is a scandal in their words. That China detail is a particularly notable, uh, Jill, that they spent the vast majority of it here. And it came at a time where Trump publicly was very critical of China. And yet China was spending money at his properties. Also in the documents, the Saudi Arabia and the royal family spent just over $600,000 at Trump properties over the four years. The report notes that while Saudi Arabia did this, Trump signed an arms deal uh, worth more than $100 billion. Now, let's be clear here. U.S. aid to Saudi Arabia goes back a long time. And you can imagine the $600,000 is probably a drop in the bucket here uh, for Trump. That said, the accusation from Democrats is that this violates the Constitution's Foreign Emoluments Clause. That's a clause that prohibits the president from accepting foreign money or any payments or gifts of any kind unless they obtain the consent of Congress. So there was a lot of talk during the Trump presidency about the Emoluments Clause. Uh, And as you noted, the irony here is the Republicans are desperately trying to prove that Biden did this as vice president, have not been successful in that. Democrats are notably putting out this report now. Timing makes sense to say, you know who was taking money from foreign entities while they were president? This guy. So you can imagine that this will be part of the argument should Republicans try to move ahead with a Biden impeachment in the coming months. From The Guardian, the final tranche of court documents related to pedophile financier Jeffrey Epstein have started to come out this week. And a number of high profile celebrities, politicians and royalty names are showing up. In nearly a thousand pages of documents related to a civil suit filed by Epstein victim Virginia Jufri against Epstein's romantic and business partner Ghislaine Maxwell, no major bombshells. Many names that we already knew were associated with Epstein at one point or another are in there. There are no illegal accusations made against most of them. Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Stephen Hawking are named in the documents, but there is no direct suggestion that any of them are accused of wrongdoing. Some of the most notable mentions come in a deposition by Joanna Soberg, who is one of the Epstein accusers. 
In her deposition, she is asked about former President Clinton. She didn't interact with him, but says that at one point, Epstein told her that Clinton, quote, likes them young, referring to girls. A Clinton spokesperson said he knew nothing about the terrible crimes that Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to and that the pair had not spoken in over a decade at that point. Yeah. So just a reminder here, we told you about this earlier in the week. Uh, this was a 2015 civil suit by Virginia Giuffre uh, to Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, the Miami Herald, which has been at the forefront of the Epstein reporting for a number of years here, filed requests to get these uh, documents made public. You know, there were a lot of documents, but all the names were blacked out. So the Miami Herald has been pushing to get them released. There have been seven tranches until now. This is the final eighth tranche. More will trickle out throughout the week. But Jill, you just went over a couple of those headlines. We should note Clinton's name shows up 50 times, but many times it's depositions where they're discussing or he's being asked about. And the question is, no. Uh, And notably, Clinton's attorneys had a chance to review this and try to block these documents from going public. And they said, no, they can totally go public at this point. Now, one person who has been accused of illegal activity here related to Epstein, and we should note that I'll be mentioning one of the accusations here in a moment if you want to skip ahead, uh, Prince Andrew. He has paid an undisclosed sum uh, to Virginia Giuffray, who was suing him civilly in these documents. This is back to the Soberg deposition here. Uh, She claims that he touched her breast while sitting on a sofa at Epstein's apartment in 2001. Now, Buckingham Palace is saying the accusation is categorically untrue. Andrew's been denying all of these allegations. You mentioned that Donald Trump is mentioned in these documents. Effectively, there's a mention that they were trying to land in Atlantic City. And uh, Epstein says, let's call Trump. That's it. No specific allegation beyond maybe we should call Trump. Of course, through the years, uh, Trump has had a friendship with Epstein and there are multiple photos that have been circulating for a long time of uh, Trump, Melania, Maxwell and uh, Epstein. And then, of course, there's Stephen Hawking, a very unusual mention here. So this relates to an email that Epstein sent in 2015 to Maxwell. Uh, Apparently, Stephen Hawking, the physicist, uh, who, by the way, passed away a couple of years ago, had visited his island in the Caribbean. Epstein tells Maxwell in the email that he was prepared to pay friends of hers if they could provide information that would counteract allegations that Hawking was involved in an underage orgy. That's it. No context, no allegation uh, that we know of of Hawking involved in this, just an email from Epstein that he wants to deny an allegation about it. And again, that's why we've told you folks, don't expect too much from these documents. Interesting, leads to more question marks, but really more questions than answers, especially related to the Hawking thing. And we'll end here. Michael Jackson's mentioned the documents. Jill, you can do a search through these documents. Apparently, Soberg, again, her deposition, she mentions that she met Michael Jackson at one of Epstein's homes in Florida at one point. No allegations here related to Michael Jackson. Just again, a mention that at one point, Michael Jackson came through. Keep in mind, this was Epstein's goal here. He wanted to connect with the rich and famous. He would somehow bring them through. And uh, so you can do a control F for a lot of names, but in many cases, it's just a question in these depositions and no specific allegation. All right, on to some business news from the Wall Street Journal, one of the world's biggest supermarket chains said that it would drop several PepsiCo products to protest what it called unacceptable price increases. This is a rare public standoff between a grocer and a food maker after more than two years of rising prices. Carrefour, which operates thousands of stores across more than 30 countries, 
said that it would stop selling Pepsi, Doritos and other products in France, Italy, Spain and Belgium. A spokesperson for the French company said Thursday it had decided to add notes to store shelves to explain the changes to customers. Some of the items that they'll no longer be selling include Lay's, Doritos, certain gazpacho, Lipton teas, Pepsi and 7-Up soft drinks and Quaker food products. PepsiCo saying that we've been in discussion with Carrefour for many months and will continue to engage in good faith in order to try to ensure that our products are available. In October, PepsiCo told the Wall Street Journal that product price increases would slow in 2024 and would be roughly in line with the overall rate of inflation. The slowdown follows two years of sharp price increases by PepsiCo on its soft drinks, snacks and packaged foods. So, Jill, our favorite topic, your favorite topic, well, least favorite <laughs> least topic, favorite. But most relevant topic. <laughs> yeah, uh, grocery prices. And part of it has been due to inflation. And part of it has been due to the fact that companies have decided to ride the inflation high and see how much they can increase the prices on their products. In fact, a number of companies have boasted in Wall Street calls about their ability to raise prices without significantly damaging sales. Over the course of the past couple of years, they've been saying it demonstrates brand strength. Well, clearly there's some pushback here. Uh, Carrefour making that move. Uh, no signs yet of it happening here in the U.S. The supermarket operators have signaled their concerns about rising prices in some aisles of their stores. Even as inflation has slowed down, they keep seeing the prices go up. They've been calling out some of these companies because, of course, consumers will go to the grocery store, complain about the prices, and they're like, talk to the companies that make these products. So it has led uh, consumers to try the generic brand or uh, swear off certain products altogether. Now, as far as the impact here for Pepsi, Europe represents about 14% or $9 billion in Pepsi's global revenue. Those were numbers from 2023. So we'll see what the bottom line is here for Pepsi. In France, food price inflation surged to double digits in 2022. It reached about 16% last year. So uh, the French government has been very aggressive here. And now you see Carrefour uh, getting aggressive with this move against Pepsi. And it does come as Pepsi has been accused of what's called shrinkflation. That's something we've discussed in the past, which is we might not increase prices, but we're going to give you less stuff in the box. So that's shrinkflation as opposed to inflation. So don't get too excited if the prices stop going up. They might be uh, removing some of the chips you expect in your Doritos bag. But you know, you open a bag of chips and the bag starts like two thirds of the way through. Like, did someone <laughs> like, did, did someone get here before me? What is going on? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Was it a manufacturing error? They're like, nope, this is on purpose. <laughs> From CNBC, Peloton launching a partnership with TikTok uh, on Thursday as part of its strategy to change its public perception and attract a broader array of customers as sales and profits fall. The partnership will create a new fitness hub on the social media platform dubbed hashtag TikTok Fitness powered by Peloton. It will feature short form fitness videos, longer live classes, content from Peloton's instructors and collaborations with TikTok creators. Shares of Peloton surged more than 15% after that news was announced. And it comes about six months after Peloton rebranded itself as a fitness company, quote, for all, and launched a tiered pricing strategy for its app. The changes were designed to position Peloton as more than just a bike company and bring in new customers who may not have been able to afford its pricey, connected fitness equipment, but could still be interested in a monthly subscription for its content. 
Jill, you mentioned the stock surge for Peloton, which you just mentioned, that 15% surge. That was a $5.40 stock going to a $6.13 stock. Just for perspective, when Peloton was at its peak, it was a $150 stock. So still not insignificant for Peloton, but still not anywhere near where it was at its peak in 2021. The VP of Peloton telling CNBC that uh, we are now from multiple types of audiences, and that's one of the real strengths of TikTok, especially reaching that younger audience. Many of us remember Peloton becoming one of those go-tos early in the pandemic as uh, gyms were closed. Basically, it was a Peloton world and a Zoom world. Consumers flocked to get those Peloton bicycles. For many people, they've become really expensive clothes drying racks near the laundry room, <laughs> uh, collecting dust. In many cases, we talked about it on the podcast last year, people trying to sell their Pelotons, resell their Pelotons, and finding that nobody wants to buy their Pelotons. Well, the company still figuring out what to do. In the three months that ended in September 30th, it lost about 30,000 members. Revenue fell about 20% from the previous year, and that was down from the year before that. So we'll see if Peloton can remake itself uh, with TikTok here. They're going to be putting out behind-the-scenes content, get-ready-with-me clips. Uh, you will see some of you who you know love your Pelotons, who use it more than for drying clothes, who know the Cody Rigsby's, the Alley Loves of the world. Apparently, they're going to be featured as part of this TikTok content. So, you know, listen, I think that you've seen various brands out there, including like BlackBerry, Research in Motion, remake itself as the back end for stereos and cars. IBM has evolved over time. So you've seen a lot of brands that will transition and figure things out. The question is, is it too little too late for Peloton or will they figure it out working with TikTok? I'm a huge Peloton fan, by the way. Like on the bike Peloton? Not so much the bike. I will do the bike occasionally. I love their running app. It really helped me get back into running after I had stopped for a while. Do you have to pay for it? I have the full subscription, uh, but I, I happen to love their classes and they're short. I mean, you could take a 10 minute Pilates class, a 10 minute arms class. I've been doing these 10 minute dance classes that I really like. And they kind of just their cardio. They get your heart racing. I did a 10 minute salt and pepper class and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it. So I'm I'm rooting for them. And I think that they are on to something with these shorter workout classes. I know we're supposed to be just the facts, Mosh, but <laughs> sometimes I just love things. <laughs> you have personal experience. Those are your facts, Jill. You're entitled to your own facts. All right. From People, Sweethearts is celebrating single people this Valentine's Day. The Heart-Shaped Candies Company releasing limited edition situationship boxes, tapping into the dating trends of Gen Z as the perfect gift for those not in a traditional relationship during the upcoming holiday. The boxes have hearts with blurry misprint or what they're calling sweet muddled nothings and literal mixed messages that capture what singles deal with today. They will become available for mm. purchase on sweetheartscandies.com on January 8th. The company says the printing on sweethearts is not always perfect. This is our way of embracing those imperfections in a way that taps into pop culture. This is my take on Sweethearts, Jill. It's like my least favorite candy. Like, I think that they've spent years not focused on, like, making a good candy. I mean, the message is fine. Like, I remember gluing them to cards in, like, elementary school in the, you know, early 90s. But why focus on this when you could just focus on, like, make a good candy? Like, make them taste better. Like, make them taste good. Like, they're not even, like, like I'll take, I'll take candy corn over sweethearts. Anyway, I, we're going to lose any potential sweethearts sponsorship here for Valentine's Day, but that's my take on sweethearts. 
And how hard is it? Isn't it just sugar? It's pure sugar. It's pure sugar. I feel like they could have done something, but like clearly they don't care. Like I need to dig into why they haven't bothered to make like sweethearts actually taste good. So situationship, you might have heard this word. We told you about it. It was one of Oxford Dictionary's words of the year. It is a mashup of situation and relationship, an informal romantic relationship, if you will. Oxford Dictionary said it was considered for the award because it, quote, captures the uncertainty and lack of formalization that many people feel about their relationships. Nice way to put it. Um, So that's where we're at. Uh, Sweethearts uh, trying to be everything for everybody, except you still don't want to eat them. All right. It is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading and eating. All right, Mosh, kick it off. What are you watching? So, Jill... The Golden Globes, after all those controversies and being canceled, etc., are gradually making their way back again. Uh, they're going to be on CBS on Sunday night. You know, the numbers are way down on these award shows. I always think it's fun uh, to watch, especially the Golden Globes, because this is like where it's TV and movies. The people are drinking. They're sitting at tables. Uh, and it's your indication of, you know, what could do well this award season. So, you know, Barbie, Oppenheimer, etc. So that's what I'll be watching on Sunday night. Yourself? All right, Mosh. So my daughter is in a play this weekend. She is in The Descendants. They have two shows, which I can't believe. So I'm going to the theater. I'm going to be watching um, Alex in The Descendants. I'm very excited for her. Does she have a big part? Not really. I mean, she has two lines, but she is the youngest person, I think, in the play. And she's in the chorus. So she's in a ton of the songs and she's in the dance routine. So she's really excited about it. All right. Big show. You told me this is a serious. When I asked earlier in the week, you said this is a serious show, Mosh. No, they have dress rehearsals. It's like a legit thing. <laughs> I, I personally, I didn't know what I was signing up for as the parent who has to do a lot of the driving mm. or my husband actually has to do a lot of the driving to all of the rehearsals. So this is uh, totally legit. And also one thing that we have not mentioned on this podcast, Michigan won the Rose Bowl and is now headed to the national championship game on Monday night. So I know it's not over the weekend, but I just wanted to mention. So it is going to be number one, Michigan versus the number two Huskies, Washington. And they are going to be playing in the college football playoff national championship game. It is at NRG Stadium in Houston. Both of these teams undefeated they're 14 and 0 so jill the the household is united at this point right because ohio state is out i imagine michael will be rooting for you guys yes he'll be rooting for his wife and also just the big 10 he's rooting for and actually next year washington is part of the big 10 yeah yeah this is the last vestige of the pac 10 which is no longer a conference okay mosh what are you reading i'm seeing it here in the google doc but please explain Are you ready for this? You probably weren't expecting this. So Alex found this book. We're going to be promoting more kids books and what we're reading on Friday. Dad and Me Setting Farts Free. So there's an author, apparently, Jane Bexley, and she writes books related to farting and gas. Um, Fun kids books that rhyme. So there's Freddy the Farting Snowman, Gary the Goose, and His Gas on the Loose. RV the heart had too many farts. Anyway, so she got me dad and me setting farts free. She's like, have you read it to Olivia yet? I got it to you a couple days ago. And I was like, I haven't read it to Olivia yet. So um, that's what I'm reading this weekend. That is so everything we are about in my house. So, <laughs> so 
send it over. <laughs> when you're done, I need a copy. Forget our sweetheart sponsorship. <laughs> I think we need to be sponsored by these fart books. <laughs> Jill, what are you reading? Okay, so I'm going to once again not tell you what I'm reading. I'm going to tell you what I'm listening to. A new podcast. Okay. I mentioned it on my Instagram page. It is called Unapologetic, The Third Narrative. And it is from two Palestinian Israelis, and they give their perspectives on the current war in the Middle East and the way forward. They are peace activists. And as they say, they are unapologetic about their views and their vision for a better future for both Israelis and Palestinians. I have personally learned a lot about what it is like to be a Palestinian living in Israel. They say that in some way their audience is people like me and others in the West and particularly, though, those who have just discovered the conflict, they break down a lot of terminology that we hear. And I just I actually find it refreshing as much as what they talk about. Sometimes it can make you uncomfortable. And they say that that's kind of the point. And they're unapologetic. That's the name of the podcast is, again, unapologetic. I find it refreshing because as much as they have their perspective, they don't have a lot of hate. They're about peace. They're trying to find solutions. They're not looking for one group to leave. They, they're they really looking for a path forward. And again, it's just been really valuable. I messaged them on Instagram because I would love for them to come on our podcast so that we could talk to them. So far, I have gotten back nothing. So if they happen to be listening to this or if anybody knows them, uh, we'd love to, to get those hosts here on the Mo News podcast. Jill, we'll send them a note from the Mo News account. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if <laughs> I think the Mo account's got more pull than than my personal one. All right, Jill. Finally, what are we eating this weekend? Given the fact that the chance for snow is decreasing by the minute here on Long Island, uh, one of our producers, Lauren, recommended snow cones. I will give my children the gift of snow cones. So if they can't actually go and play in the snow, we can eat it. All right. Along those lines, uh, what I'm eating this weekend? Anita Gelato. It's uh expanding to a number of locations around the world. It actually started in Israel, uh, now uh, has ice cream shops, gelato shops in New York, in Australia, in Barcelona, in London, and they just opened up in uh, Aventura, just north of Miami. So we're going to be checking that out. Love their gelato in uh, Tel Aviv, great flavors, and uh, looking forward to it here. And totally shocked that you're having gelato. <laughs> well, Jill, the people in Florida will tell you it's freezing outside. It's only 72 degrees. So I'm not sure it's ice cream weather anymore. But for me, it's always ice cream weather. I'm just glad that you are staying on brand in 2024. Gelato till the end, Jill. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the end, we got to go. Thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, Share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.